Welcome to Lincoln Log, where we speak with leading historians and other officials about their stories, research, and wisdom. Expand your knowledge and indulge your curiosity here on Lincoln Log. This podcast is produced by the Abraham Lincoln Association, aiding and promoting Abraham Lincoln's life and legacy. Founded in 1908, the ALA remains the nation's oldest and largest Lincoln organization. Learn more at abrahamlincolnassociation.org. Greetings. I am your host, Joshua Claiborne. Typically, our podcast features a prominent historian or author discussing their latest book, project, or some institution they're affiliated with. Today, however, I'd like to do something a bit different and feature me alone discussing my primary area of research, Lincoln's youth and ancestry. And in particular, today I will address Lincoln's birth and his mother Nancy's ancestry. Abraham Lincoln entered the world on a cold Sunday morning on 12 February 1809 in a one-room log cabin with his mother Nancy laboring on a hen feather bed. Like their Kentucky neighbors, the Lincolns Lincolns possessed little material wealth. To guard against the cold winter air, Nancy had just a few blankets and a fire. Her laboring lasted throughout the night, but was fairly typical for the time, which is to stay, it involved no anesthetics, no attending physician, and few comforts beyond the bed, blankets, and female family and neighbors nearby to assist. After tiny Abraham emerged, crying, Nancy's two aunts washed him and dressed him. Her husband, Tom, the proud but anxious father, approached the bedside and looked down at Nancy's pale, tired face. Turning to Peggy Walters, a 20-year-old neighbor assisting the midwife, Nancy, Tom teepishly asked, Are you sure she's all right? Nancy lifted her hand from beneath the blankets, grabbed Tom's, and assured him, Yes, Tom, I am all right. You're glad it's a boy, Tom, aren't you? So am I. A witness to this and countless other births during her life, Miss Walters noted, I never saw a prouder father than Tom Lincoln, and I never saw a mother more glad than Nancy was to know that her baby was a boy. Here, in Abraham Lincoln's first minutes on earth, We learn what far too many historians doubted generations later. Thomas Lincoln dearly cared for his wife, and he loved his newborn son. The happy young couple turned their attention to naming the infant boy. Nancy told Tom, now we can use the name we couldn't before. Because their firstborn was a girl, she took the name Sarah, and the new boy could take the name Abraham. Yes, Nancy, it's a right good name. This here baby boy, said Tom, is Abraham Lincoln. Inspiration for Abraham came from Tom's father, who died in an attack by Native Americans when Tom was young. Lincoln was born in a cabin that probably measured about 16 feet by 18 feet with one door, a window, a short stone or clay fireplace, and a dirt floor. The Lincoln family cabin sat by a knoll near Sinking Spring in Kentucky, about two or three miles south of the present-day city of Hodgenville. Inspiration for the farm's name came from a spring which emerged from a cave and then dropped into a pit and disappeared underground. The surrounding hills and their stony clay soil made farming very difficult. Only about a third of the land provided soil rich enough to plow. Aside from the occasional oak or hickory grove, few trees covered the land and instead grass weeds and shrubs dotted the landscape. 
The sinking spring near Nolan Creek, however, provided an important source of water. Thomas purchased about 350-acre farm for $200 in December 1808. Nancy was with child and may have chosen the site due to its proximity to Nancy's relatives. No one knows for sure whether Thomas or the farm's prior owner built the cabin, but either way, they lived in it just a couple months before the family expanded with Abraham's birth. By custom in Kentucky, neighbors quickly came to see the newborn child, and Nancy's nearby relatives were among the first to visit. The frontier experience, characterized by isolation and low population density, promoted self-reliance and individualism. But the rugged life and relatively primitive threats also cultivated a collective desire for neighbors to band together when necessary. So nearby families supported each other during hardship and major life events like childbirth. They told me the Lincolns had a baby at their house, required, recalled Nancy's cousin, Dennis Hanks, 11 years old at Abraham's birth. And so I just ran all the way down there. I guess I was on hand pretty early for I recollect that when I, when the little feller, uh, when I held the little feller in my arms, his mother said, be careful with him, Dennis, for you are the fir first boy he's ever seen. I sort of swung him back and forth a little too hard, I reckon, for with the talking and the shaking, he soon began to cry. And then I handed him over to my Aunt Polly, who was standing close by. Aunt, says I, take him. He'll never come to much. For I tell you, he was the puniest, cryingest little youngster I ever saw. The man who would one day achieve the pinnacle of success, leading the greatest republic in history through its most turbulent trial, began from humble, obscure origins. Maternal Ancestry Lincoln confided to his long law partner that his mother, Aunt Nancy, was a bastard and the daughter of a nobleman, so-called of Virginia. His mother's mother was a poor, incredulous woman, and she was shamefully taken advantage of by the man. My mother inherited his qualities, and I hers. All that I am or hope to be, I get from my mother. God bless her. Like so much of Lincoln's life, his mother's ancestral roots remain largely shrouded in mystery and infused with legend. Nancy's earliest known ancestors on her mother's side originated in southwest England near Malmesbury. They came to the New World when Thomas Hank moved to Virginia in about 1643, possibly due to the outbreak of the Civil War in 1642. Thomas owned as much as 2,000 forested acres in eastern Virginia and New Kent and Gloucester counties. His likely son, William Hanks, works as a carpenter and moved a short distance across the Rappahannock to the southern half of what was called the Northern Neck, a densely wooded peninsula jutting out from Virginia and bounded by the Potomac River on the north and the Rappahannock River to the, on the south. There in the northern neck, William and his wife Sarah had at least three sons, including John Hanks, who married Catherine Williams in about June 1714. John and Catherine, in turn, had a large brood of perhaps as many as ten children, including Joseph Hanks. But John's death in 1740 with several underage children including 14-year-old Joseph, forced Catherine to show cause why her children should not be bound out by the church wardens as the law requires. She somehow justified her ability to continue caring for the children, and the county court opted not to appoint wardens. Joseph, the oldest son then living at home, was appointed administrator of his late father's estate and probably grew up helping with more household administration and chores than his peers. 
In about 1759, Joseph married Anne Nanny Lee, and together they raised five sons and three daughters, including Abraham Lincoln's mother, Lucy Hanks. Like her husband Joseph, Nanny descended from poor white families. Her father, William Lee, worked as a plantation overseer. Notably, one of the black slaves in his charge, a man named Will, ran away but was caught and returned to the plantation. After a justice of the court whipped the runaway slave, William Lee continued whipping with a cat of nine tails and a cowskin whip, cowskin whip until he reached about 200 lashes. The slave, forced to work the fields after this discipline, complained of abdominal pains and died four days later. A court justice then charged William Lee with felonously killing Will, a manslave, and four witnesses, including his employer, testified against him. He was released from jail on bond and the final outcome unknown. The available history does not say whether this story of his great-grandfather ever reached William Lincoln. William Lee ultimately died in abject poverty in 1764. Like his, father Joseph, uh, like his father-in-law, Joseph Hanks worked primarily as a landless tenant farmer and plantation overseer, but he also worked on a part-time basis in the 1770s as a road maintenance inspector. By all outward appearances, the Hanks family lived firmly entrenched in the Northern Neck social fabric, with a fifth generation of Virginians on its way. But Catherine Hanks' death in about January 1779 signaled the beginning of a Northwestern migration. The American Revolutionary War may have also prompted a move. That conflict affected nearly everyone in the 13 colonies, especially those living in eastern Virginia. Joseph, Joseph's brother, Alexander, actually died in the war after enlisting in Washington's Continental Army with a company of 80 Northern Neck men. George Washington was even born in the Hanks' same parish neighborhood, as a, and as a young man, Washington helped survey the area. Because the Hankses and part of Washington's family attended the same parish, the same minister may have even baptized George Washington and Abraham Lincoln's grandmother, Lucy. Although Washington's parents moved from the Northern Neck to Fredericksburg while he was young, they retained ownership of the land, and George's brother, Lawrence, raised his family there. Throughout Washington's teens, he returned to visit. In 1782, with the Revolutionary War still underway, Joseph began exploring options further west. By summer 1783, he and Nan Nanny left the northern Nick for good and moved their family about 200 miles up the Potomac River to one of its small tributaries, Patterson's Creek, near the present-day border of Maryland, Virginia, and West Virginia. The journey likely placed tremendous responsibility on their oldest daughter, Lucy. She left behind childhood friends and, in addition to helping care for the younger children, she tended to livestock while anxiously avoiding the frontier's wild beasts. Although the area was wild and undeveloped, the cheap land attracted Lucy's parents because it provided fertile soil, berries, and honeysuckle, and diverse trees and foliage for about 32 families in the large vicinity, most with primitive new homes. Nearly all of the Hanks family carried a good reputation and married relatively well at the time, and despite the rugged and rural conditions, Lucy Hanks could read and write. Very few others could boast that feat. Most young men in Lucy's region could not sign their names, and even fewer women could read. Even prosperous families struggled to educate their sons. The Washington Lees, for example, generally sent their sons to England for schooling. History leaves no clues about how Lucy gained such an exceptional education in spite of tremendous hurdles. 
but Lucy's ability to read and write may be due to the same determination and drive that would later motivate her grandson, Abraham Lincoln. Despite these admirable traits, Lucy made a fateful decision which dramatically recast history's perception of her and the family, and likely influenced how Lincoln viewed himself. A well-bred Virginia farmer or planter, whose name remains lost to history, struck up a relationship with Lucy. When they first met, how often they connected, and whether their relationship was open or a secret also remains a mystery. Perhaps he was at her own age, or perhaps he was older and more established. Perhaps he was single and interested in a long-term relationship with Lucy, or perhaps he was already tied to another. The family moved just before or just after Lucy conceived, so history offers few clues about the man's identity. In February 1784, that unknown man sired a daughter with Lucy. That daughter was Abe's mother, Nancy Hanks. Lucy's lover did not marry her, and he presumably avoided that by choice. After arriving on Patterson's Creek in about 1783, the Hanks family stayed less than two years and then sold the 108-acre farm to a neighboring family. Joseph Hanks never recorded their reasons for moving. By all accounts, the farm continued providing fertile valley soil, yet he sold it for a relatively small price. Lucy Hanks's illicit affair and the family shame that came with it may well have made living conditions intolerable for the Hankses. Or perhaps Joseph and Nanny simply wanted to move Lucy farther away from the well-bred Virginian. Whatever their reasons, the Hankses picked up in the spring of 1784 and made a long trek through the Cumberland Gap to Kentucky, eventually arriving at the rolling fork of the Salt River near the base of Muldras Hill. The new Hanks home rested on a 150-acre tract in a rough and heavily wooded area where mountainous Kentucky transitioned into a fertile bluegrass region. They held the land with dubious title through a mere verbal contract until the execution of a formal legal agreement three years later. As in Virginia, the family faced hard pioneer conditions, clearing wilderness, building a house, and planting crops. In addition to caring for her younger daughter, Nancy, Lucy was expected to help with the typical household chores of cooking, washing, churning, milking, and tending to the garden. Joseph died in 1793, and Nanny died about a year later. The Hanks' family move from Virginia to Kentucky may have allowed them to escape some of the shame associated with Lucy's out-of-wedlock child, but Lucy soon brought on more of it. Around 1787, Lucy gave birth to a second daughter, Sarah Hanks, who was also conceived and born out of wedlock, and who in turn gave birth to six of her own illegitimate children. Lucy was likely living unwed with Henry Sparrow, a Revolutionary War veteran. This controversial arrangement, or the second out-of-wedlock pregnancy, caused a Mercer County grand jury to indict Lucy in November 1789 for fornication. Presumably, Lucy and Harry agreed to marry because on the 25th of May in 1790, the court dismissed Lucy's fornication charge for cases appear- for reasons appearing before the court. The couple formally married the following year in April 1791 before a Baptist preacher named John Bailey in Mercer County, Kentucky. Although Abraham Lincoln's grandmother avoided jail time for fines and her for her alleged fornication, her propensity for out-of-wedlock relationships gave her a morally suspect reputation and probably contributed to Abraham's view of the Hankses as an undistinguished family. Lincoln described Lucy as a halfway prostitute, 
and called the Hanks family lascivious, lascivious, uh, lecherous, not to be trusted, and the lowest people in the world. When Lucy's father died in 1793, he left her out of the will, possibly due to her misbehavior. In addition to Lucy's two out-of-wedlock children, Lucy Hanks' sister Nancy had an illegitimate child named Dennis Hanks, and Lucy's daughter, Sarah, gave birth to six illegitimate children of her own. All of these damaged reputations must help explain why Lincoln once called himself one of the class known as Scrubs down south. Lucy and Henry Hare Sparrow uh, resided together and spent Mercer County the rest of their lives and had eight children together from about 1790 through 1809. Despite her checkered past, Lucy may have rehabilitated some of her reputation. Dennis Hanks described her later in life as a fine Christian lady in every respect. And historian William Barton described her as intelligent, industrious, and capable. She was generous and sympathetic and kind, resolute, rather quiet, but forceful, gracious and helpful, very religious. Abraham Lincoln visited the couple on one or two occasions. His mother, Nancy, addressed them as Uncle Henry and Aunt Lucy. At some later point, Lincoln likely learned this Aunt Lucy was actually his grandmother. At the time of his visits, Abe was likely no, more, no older than eight years old, while Henry and Lucy were nearly 50 years old. For a young man like Abe, interested in history, Uncle Henry's experiences in the Revolutionary War must have been a source of fascination. Lucy died in about 1833, and Henry died in about 1841. Abraham Lincoln showed deep interest in his paternal line, but nothing indicates much curiosity about his maternal line beyond his mother. That may be due to prevalent sexism of the time. The history of your paternal surname mattered more to your social standing. But some of Lincoln's disinterest may very well originate in shame over the illegitimate children. Abraham Lincoln's mother, Nancy, was probably born in, on February 5th, 1784, as the illegitimate daughter of Lucy Hanks in Hampshire County, Virginia, as we discussed previously. Since the father did not claim her, her surname needed to be Hanks. When Lincoln wistfully noted, God bless my mother, all that I am or hope to be, I owe to her, he was thinking of admirable genetic traits he believed came from Nancy and her well-bred father, including power of analysis, his logic, his mental activity, his ambition, and all the qualities that distinguished him from the other members and descendants of the Hanks family. Lincoln believed illegitimate children are oftentimes sturdier and brighter than those born in lawful wedlock. And, is his and in his case, he believed that his better nature and finer qualities came from this broad-minded, unknown Virginia. The first clues about Nancy Hanks's illegitimacy arose in about 1850 or 1851, when Lincoln traveled with his law partner, William Herndon, from Springfield to Menard County, Illinois, for a complicated case involving inheritance. Herndon later reported in a private letter, Lincoln all at once said, Billy, I'll tell you something, but keep it a secret while I live. My mother was a bastard, was the daughter of a nobleman so-called of Virginia. My mother's mother was poor and credulous, and she was shamefully taken advantage of by the man. My mother inherited her, his qualities, and I hers. All that I am or hope to be I get from my mother. God bless her. In Herndon's 1889 biography of Lincoln, which he published with ghostwriter Jesse Week, Herndon tweaked Virginia noblemen 
to instead read a well-bred Virginia farmer or planter. He also offered Lincoln's mood after the exchange. Lincoln immediately lapsed into silence. Our interchange of ideas ceased, and we rode on for some time without exchanging a single word. He was sad and absorbed, bearing himself in thought and musing no doubt over the discourse he had just made. He drew round him a barrier which I feared to penetrate. Lincoln may have addressed the issue when he supplied information to Chicago journalist John Locke Scripps for an 1860 campaign biography. Lincoln extolled his mother's intellect and character, but Scripps later shared this intriguing note with Herndon. Mr. Lincoln communicated some facts to me concerning his ancestry, which he did not wish to have published and which I have never spoken of or alluded to before. Did Lincoln know his maternal grandfather's identity? As a boy, Lincoln knew two of his Hanks great aunts and his great uncle Billy Hanks, all of whom were with the family during Lucy's pregnancy and may very well have known the lover's identity. Lincoln remained in contact with these Hanks relatives throughout his life, so it remains entirely plausible and even likely that he knew his grandfather's identity. For over a century, historians debated whether Lucy truly gave birth to Nancy illegitimately or whether Nancy was instead born to legitimate married parents. Although most historians now believe that Nancy Hanks was born to Lucy Hanks and an unknown Virginian, many Lincoln associates and historians, particularly those working in the late 19th century and early 20th century, backed various theories that Nancy was born to legitimate parents. Lincoln's, cousin, Lincoln's cousins, Dennis and John Hanks, refuted Nancy's illegitimacy, although several historians doubted Dennis Hanks's reliability on these issues. Other associates supporting the pro-legitimacy view included Lincoln's friend, Governor Richard Oglesby of Illinois. Carolyn Hanks Hitchcock researched her Hanks family genealogy and also concluded Nancy Hanks was not an illegitimate daughter. Instead, based on a will she found, Hitchcock asserted Nancy was the legitimate daughter of a Joseph Hanks, who died in 1793. At the behest of famed Lincoln historian Ida Tarbell, Miss Hitchcock published her findings in 1899 in a small book titled Nancy Hanks. Tarbell penned the book's preface, which helped give the Hitchcock theory support, particularly among those eager to portray Lincoln in the best light possible and to whitewash any embarrassing illegitimate ancestry. In addition to Miss Tarbell, supporters for this theory included historians John Hutchinson and Howard Jenkins. But the Hitchcock theory also gained its detractors, most notably Jesse Week. Week argued that anyone could legitimize children via will, and Nancy was a common name among pioneer families. So Joseph Hanks bequeathing a cow to a young girl named Nancy proved very little. Hitchcock's suggestions prompted other prominent historians to enter the fray and offer their own perspectives on Lincoln's maternal ancestry. William Barton, a minister from Illinois, left the pulpit and moved to Massachusetts, where he grew enamored with all things Lincolnalia. Barton developed a reputation as a, quote, smug, impudent, conceited, and intolerant of, of criticism. But his research and publications nevertheless garnered respect. After authoring a book on Lincoln's paternity, Barton traveled to Kentucky, where a budding Lincoln historian named Louis Warren showed him the summons for Lucy Hanks's fornication charge. Following this trail, Barton also found that Joseph Hanks of Hitchcock's research had a ninth child named Lucy, unacknowledged in his will. For Barton, this proved Lucy was Nancy Hanks's mother, 
and that Lucy had likely been disinherited due to bad behavior. The Nancy named in Joseph's will was actually Abraham Lincoln's great aunt. Barton also found Lucy's certificate of age and consent to marry Henry Sparrow in 1790. Barton laid out his findings in a two-volume Life of Abraham Lincoln in 1925 and another book called Lineage of Lincoln in 1929. Although Barton's books received generally positive reviews, the research did little to settle the maternal ancestry debate for good. Carolyn Hitchcock was furious over the affront to her years of work, but it was Louis Warren who accompanied Barton on his first trip to Wharton, to Kentucky, I should say, that ultimately proved to be Barton's biggest foe. Warren hailed from Massachusetts, was educated in Kentucky schools, and then worked in 1918 as an editor for a newspaper in Hodgenville, Kentucky, near Lincoln's birthplace. There he came to believe that too much Lincoln commentary focused on tradition, so he began researching courthouse records in and around Hodgenville. In 1921, Warren moved to Elizabethtown, Kentucky, the first home of Lincoln's parents, and continued his investigations, copying thousands of court records relating to the Lincoln family in Kentucky, Virginia, Tennessee, and North Carolina. Warren then moved to central Indiana by 1925 and worked full-time as a Lincoln researcher employed by Albert Beveridge, a United States senator and Lincoln historian himself. Warren lectured frequently throughout Indiana on Lincoln's youth and published Lincoln's Parentage and Childhood in 1926, which caught the attention of Arthur Hall, president of the Lincoln National Life Insurance Company in Fort Wayne, Indiana. In 1928, Mr. Hall made Warren the director of historical research for the Lincoln National Life Foundation, an organization dedicated to preserving Lincoln's legacy. For the next three weeks, three decades, I should say, Warren collected 8,000 books on Lincoln, as well as magazines and newspapers on the subject in a library that would eventually bear Warren's name. Warren responded to Barton's research by arguing that Abe's mother, Nancy, was the legitimate child of Lucy Hanks's brother, James Hanks, and his wife, Lucy Shipley. For Warren, the crucial evidence lay in Lucy Hanks's marriage certificate that suggested Lucy may have been a widow. Lucy allegedly signed the paper, Widoy, with, with bracketed W-I letters barely visible. But suddenly, the document went missing, and with high drama between them, Barton and Warren fought over whether Widoy actually appeared in the certificate. That is spelled W-I-D-O-Y. Warren even accused Barton of inappropriately stealing the document from the Mercer County Courthouse. In fact, Barton had done just that. Eventually, after Barton's death, a photocopy ended up framed at the University of Chicago, where Ida Tarbell saw it in 1932. Although she wanted to believe Warren's version of the story, she had to admit she saw no evidence of widoy or any evidence of tampering. Other historians nevertheless endorse Warren's Shipley theory, or some close variant of it, including Harold and Ernestine Briggs, Raymond Bell, and Christopher Child. In addition to the Widoy allegation, Warren outlined a persuasive network of relationships that would explain several recurring names in the historical record. But he ultimately provided no firsthand evidence able to trump the predominant Herndon evidence of illegitimacy. Based in part on Caroline Hitchcock's research, Aidan Baber, another Hanks genealogist, accused Herndon of sloppy research and vigorously defended Nancy's legitimate birth in several books beginning in 1959. Baber contended that Nancy was the daughter of Abraham Hanks and wife Sarah Harper of Campbell County, Virginia. 
But Baber's research frequently lacked annotations and scholarly support, contradicted Lincoln's own testimony, and failed to explain the existence of Lucy Hanks. Most scholars support the story Lincoln told Herndon. Nancy Hanks was born as the illegitimate daughter of Lucy Hanks and an unknown Virginian. In the 1890s, 11 of Lincoln's Hoosier acquaintances and several children of others who knew him all told historian J. Edward Murr that Nancy Hanks was born out of wedlock. Robert Todd Lincoln retained the right to edit his father's biography that John Nicolay and John Hay published in 1890, which included allegations of Nancy Hanks's illegitimate parentage, and Robert did not delete that reference. More recent biographers endorsed the illegitimacy view as well, including David Donald, Michael Lind, and Douglas Wilson and Rodney Davis. Perhaps the most extensive and persuasive work supporting the illegitimacy view was done by Paul H. Verduin. Over the years, each of the various theories acquired support until a mitochondrial DNA study published in 2015 put an end to the century-old debate and proved Abraham Lincoln's mother was indeed one of two illegitimate children of Lucy Hanks. The results also proved that Lucy Hanks Sparrow was a daughter of Anne Lee Hanks and was not, as Warren believed, a descendant of the Shipleys. Nearly all Lincoln historians now agree that Lucy Hanks was Nancy's mother and that Lucy was therefore Abraham Lincoln's grandmother. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Lincoln Log Podcast, and we look forward to you joining us again next time as we return to our regularly scheduled historians and authors. Thank you for listening to Lincoln Log. You can subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And if you like this podcast, please consider rating it on iTunes and leaving a review. This helps other people find the show. 